Speaking of spies, you remember we were doing that in the last episode. Yes, I do. Well, today we're going to talk about some actual spies from history. Nice. This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. And on that note, hi and welcome. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. I'm Sensei Derek. And I'm Landon. And as they say, I'm not in the room where it happens. <laughs> I am podcasting remotely for the first time in a very long time. I know it's been a while, so hopefully this will go smooth, right? Yes. We got to jump right into this one because we have way more spies to cover than we have time to cover them. That's right. In the last episode, we found some interesting articles and we got some good suggestions. So we'll get to as many as we can. We will, and we're not going in any particular order. We're just going to go as the conversation flows. That sounds about like a normal day for us, doesn't it? <laughs> Our sources are the same as the last episode with the addition of Britannica and Wikipedia. I think we might have used Wikipedia last week. Do you guys remember? I thought we used both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Wikipedia is our friend. <laughs> of course. All right. Let's get started with two well-known spy circles. And when I say well-known, I mean, I had never heard of them before I did this research. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess they're pretty well-known. Now they are. I can actually start with the first one. Uh, they were called the Cambridge Five and were active from the 1930s to the 1950s. Uh, they were made up of five Cambridge University students. So that puts them in England, right? Uh, that's us. Uh, They were recruited to spy for the Soviet Union and after college went on to have careers across the British establishment, including in Britain's secret intelligence service. Listen, not only did they join the secret intelligence service, but they also had access to secrets that they could pass to their Soviet handlers in their careers. And they were pretty successful in disrupting a number of intelligence operations. So it took over a decade for Britain to catch on. And by then, the spies began to move to the Soviet Union one at a time. Uh, that's right. Uh, three of them got away, sad to say, but the last two were caught and confessed. What makes this interesting is that none of the people were ever prosecuted for espionage. That's true. Most of them died in the Soviet Union. But one man named John Cairncross moved around the world, confessed many times, was never prosecuted and died in his home country of England. Mm. Wow. Took him a while to uh, confess. But (laughs) the entire story was kept hidden until almost the 1980s. I found that to be amazing. This was a decade under wraps after the whole thing had unfolded. Spy versus spy. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our first five from the Cambridge Five, they got multiplied. (laughs) And the Russian 10 beat them out by having 10 people instead of five. But they're a lot more recent. The Russian 10 were created around 2000, and the country is the United States rather than England. Right. The FBI learns of a group of undercover assets living here in the U.S. They called them sleeper agents trained by the Russians and sent here to blend in. Uh, Some of them have been living here undetected for multiple years. One of the 10 was living as a socialite and traveling in political circles. And one was working as a journalist for a Spanish-speaking newspaper. For more than a decade, the FBI ran an investigation called, I love this, Operation Ghost Stories. 
<laughs> they set up a sting and caught at least one of them in the act of passing information. I saw that. Did you guys know there are pictures out there online in case people want to look this up? I'm yes, surprised. We have photographs. Oh, I'm surprised to, to have type of that type of information out there that the public can see. Well, now it's been like Decades. ten years since oh, they decade. since the whole thing blew over. Was. And another difference between this case and the first one is that this case got a lot of press, including ending up on CBS. According to the Radio Free Europe, the 10 spies were exchanged for some people being held in Russia for spying for the U.S. and for Britain. Huh. I mean, that happens all the time, right, guys? It reminds me of the exchange uh, that was just made. Mm -hmm. The uh, basketball player for the Russian agent. I, I agree. But I have one more thing, and it's pop culture. We love that. <laughs> uh, this case inspired a TV series called The Americans. It aired for six seasons, starting in 2013, and it's still out there to stream. Sensei Derek, you stole Sensei Michelle's pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're doing pretty good so far. And let's keep it going with a reminder that these spies are not in any order. We're just picking our favorites and sharing what we found. Having said that, I'm going to keep it going with the famous chef slash intelligence agent, Julia Child. Now, yeah. have we all heard of her? Uh, we have, but I had no idea. Is it childish to say that I don't know Julia Child? <laughs> <laughs> I suspected as much, Landon. I suspected that you had not heard of her. But there was a movie made about her, not about mm. her spy thing, about her cooking thing. So right. you can always research her if you're that bored one day, right? Meanwhile, I'm just going to get us started. We've established that she was famous for her French cooking. But all this mm -hmm. spying stuff happened way before she was famous. Her show, The French Chef, ran in the 1960s. But her espionage life started in 1942 in California as a civilian volunteer with the Aircraft Warning Service. They tracked the shipping lanes to keep them free of spies. And here's something even more interesting, in my opinion. She applied to be a part of the Women Accepted for Voluntary Emergency Service. But get this, was rejected for being too tall. She was 6'3". Mm. You know, oh, wow. the, the it's just the long name for what they used to call the waves. The, oh. the, they were the women in the Navy uh, during uh, World War II and, and onward. I did not know that, that mm. that's what that was. I Thanks for clearing that that's... up for us. Good job, Sensei Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sensei Jackie. But I'll keep it going. She wanted to be part of the war effort, so she got a job with the OSS. She was a research assistant. Then she moved on to the sea rescue equipment section. They developed ways for downed pilots to survive in remote locations. Interestingly, she also helped create shark repellent. That's cool, right? Yes. I wonder if she ever used it in any of her cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so what they said online was she wasn't exactly a spy. You know, she didn't go out and do the spying, but she handled tons of classified documents in her job. And she was classified as an intelligence agent by the OSS. Mm. Which we all know is the Office of Special Services. We're all going to go, okay, since <laughs> we all didn't know that. Which we all, which we all didn't know. Uh, two seconds before I asked what it was. <laughs> After the war, she married Paul Child. They moved to France and she worked in intelligence there. In France, she fell in love with French cooking. And as they say, the rest is history. Mm. 
Okay, Landon, now since you're not even interested in French cooking history, where are we headed? All right, I'm going to a man named Forrest Frederick Edward Yo Thomas. That's a name. He was born in 1902 and died in 1964. People called him Tommy, and he was a part of the British Special Forces in the Second World War. So along with Tommy, he had many other nicknames, but the Germans called him the White Rabbit. As a kid, he moved to France and was fluent in English and French and did most of his spying in France. His spy life consisted of being parachuted into occupied France in 1943, where he did many different tasks. One was dining with the enemy and reporting back to both England and France. And another was campaigning for supplies to be sent to the French resistance. Maybe when he was dining mm. with the enemy, he was using a Julia Child shark sauce. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, at one point, he was captured and spent over a year in POW, prisoner of war, camps, being tortured and attempting to escape, which he finally did in 1945. Because of his time in many different German prisons, he was a key witness in the Nuremberg Trials. He earned over a dozen medals as a military man from both England and France. Amazing. Wow, Wow, what a man. That's an amazing guy. But this is my favorite part. Yo was the inspiration for the James Bond character 007. Even I've heard of 007. (laughs) (laughs) Finally! Finally, we get a piece of pop culture that we can all share. All right, I'm going to move us on. Are you ready? I'm ready. Robert Hansen was one of the names suggested by one of my friends. And will you do me a favor, Sensei Derek, and take this one for me? Uh, Sure, Sensei. Uh, He's a pretty recent addition. He was born in 1944 and was a member of the FBI and was a double agent for the Soviet Union. (laughs) He started his career in the Chicago Police Department and transferred to the FBI in 1976. He sold secrets to the Soviet bloc in the late 70s until his wife found out. He confessed to a priest, donated to a church, said he wouldn't do it again, and just kind of kept on working. Wow. See, that's really weird to me, right? Yes. I can't believe they let that happen that way. But what else happened? His spying started up again in 1985. At least three U.S. agents were caught and executed directly from Hansen's information. Again, he didn't get caught and supposedly quit in 1991 when he learned that the FBI was looking for a mole. This whole thing is unbelievable to me, right? Completely uh, unbelievable. What a good suggestion. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> uh, and as unbelievable as this is, he renewed his contract with the Russians in 1999 and made more money by selling more secrets. Wow. Very lucrative job. Yeah, yes, I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing's creeping me out. Uh, he finally got caught in 2001 with a garbage bag full of secrets he was about to sell. He made a plea deal, avoiding a death penalty for life without parole. As a famous singer said, it's all about the money. And in this case, <laughs> in this case, it really was all about the money. I can't imagine doing this type of work if that wasn't your focus point. Well, what we said in the last episode was there are two main reasons why people spy mm-hmm. loyalty and money. That's it. Uh, so in this guy's case, it was all about the Benjamins. <laughs> <laughs> so I found an article about people who were famous for things other than spying, but they were also spies. Mm. That's weird, right? I think that is very, very weird, Sensei. Okay, we're going to round robin this one. Are you going first for me, Sensei Derek? Oh, I'll go first. I never heard of this man until right now, but the story is too cool to pass up. 
His name is Morris Berg. He was known as Mo. He was a major league baseball player in the early 20th century, and his career ended in 1939 and included such heights as an overall batting average of .243 and playing with Chicago White Sox and Boston Red Sox. He also played for Princeton, where he got a degree in languages and could speak up to 12 different languages. Now, already that's an amazing feat. It is amazing. I, yes. I struggle with one to two languages. <laughs> uh, now, this is kind of funny. In, in baseball, people made a joke that he knew 12 languages but couldn't hit in any of them. <laughs> I like that joke. That's a really good joke. Now, I know. Now, now, that surprises me because I actually, uh, when I was look, reading about this, I looked up a good batting average, and that was 0. .300. So 0.243 doesn't seem too far off from there. I think they're just razzing each other, uh, see? Okay. You know, <laughs> they, they say, yeah, that's right. 243 is a very decent batting average. I agree. And yeah. I'm not a really big sports fan, but even I knew that 243 was a good average. No, no, no. All right. To continue on, while he played Major League Ball, he earned his law degree from Columbia. Wow. That's pretty something. A very eventful life, balancing way too many things at once. Really makes me feel like I'm a slacker. (laughs) (laughs) Now, during the Second World War, he was an intelligence officer. His jobs included gathering intelligence in Europe on the German mission to create the atomic bomb. Wow. Down for two. We're getting there. We're doing really good. All right. (laughs) All right. Go for it, Cindy Derrick. Now, finally... After the war, he lived a quiet life with family and friends until his death. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that story. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a hard one to follow, isn't it? But you can do it, Sensei. <laughs> I'm going to try because I'm going to take a lady named Josephine Baker. And I'm going to say flat out, Lennon, I know you never heard of this woman. So true. But she was a super famous jazz singer, wasn't she? Yes, mm-hmm. she was. And she Oh, because started- that's my favorite genre of music. <laughs> 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 Just saying. <laughs> Fine, I'll, I'll give you that one. And she started her career in the U.S., but she really became famous in France. She smuggled secrets for the French resistance during World War II. She could do that because she was an entertainer, and mm. therefore she could travel freely. She ended up in a lot of situations where people seriously drank too much, and therefore talked too much now i have definitely heard of josephine baker and even seen old videos of her right but Mm. i never knew she was a spy it's something i gotta say and here's another interesting fact about her she pulled kind of an old-time angelina jolie by adopting 12 children from all around the world Mm. and she lived quietly in france with and raised those children what a woman maybe angelina jolie took after her. Ah, I, I bet that's true. Well, Sensei said that she lived quietly in France. I don't know how you can live <laughs> quietly <laughs> with 12 children, but you're so right. I'm going to go from children to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is I a guess, kid's book. I guess there's a connection here. So oh, everybody knows, even I know this one. Okay. Everybody knows who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Us, Roald Dahl. Us. Now, now, how do you say his name? Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl, right? How I say it. Okay. I just, I can never say it. But please correct me for those of you who are <laughs> fans of, you know, James and the Giant Peach and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Sorry about that, Landon. I got caught up in that. Us. Well, this is weird. 
weirder than how his name is said? <laughs> I should say he spied on the United States for Britain. Britain was trying to persuade the United States to get involved in World War II, so they sent him to America to persuade ambassadors and politicians to get involved. Nothing like an author lobbying for a war. <laughs> when mm. I was reading a little bit about this, I could see that there was like an inner circle of people who hung out in the D.C. Mm. area, and he was part of it. And so that was probably why that was his job. But I found it interesting to read about a spy thing that was versing us, but yet at the same time by someone who was not our enemy. Mm. That one was interesting to me. Oh. You know what I mean? It seems I like do. he was it seems like he came over more to advocate than to spy. But they called him one of the agents in this article that I found. Okay, okay. okay we're down to our final spy story. And she was on a list of the five most famous spies in history. Take it home for me, please, Sensei Jack. Yes, her name was Matahari. When we picked her, we really didn't know anything about her. So I thought I'd start with some very just basic information. Thank you. She was born in 1876 in the Netherlands and had some tough times in young adulthood, including an abusive husband and the death of one of her young children. Hmm. Yeah. And like you said, she is or was probably the most famous spy and seductress in history. Okay, not to interrupt, but who would have ever thought that we would use the term seductress <laughs> on this podcast? Unless you were talking about one of us. But, <laughs> but that was a reputation. Of course, the whole thing was a controversy. Ooh, a controversy. Yay! Finally. <laughs> Some say she wasn't a spy at all. And there's no consensus on exactly what she did as a spy. After all that bad luck in young adulthood, she took the name Matahari and began dancing in France. She was tall, gorgeous, and willing to dance almost naked. So she was quite popular. And <laughs> as far as the spying goes, she admitted that the Germans approached her and she took their money. But she only gave them outdated information. Still, the French blamed her for the deaths of 50,000 of their soldiers, even though there was absolutely no evidence to back up that claim. So finally, she was convicted of being a spy and shot by a French firing squad in 1917. Mm. That's a heck of a story. Yeah, but there's one more thing. There was a myth that she blew kisses to her firing squad, but it was proven untrue. What the truth was, that she refused to wear her blindfold. So she looked them in the eye as they fired at her. Mm. So I guess that's it, guys. I mean, we're not going to beat that story, are we? Well, if they have some better, less gruesome stories, they should <laughs> contact us. We're all over the web at Wildcat Dojo. Send us an email at dojoconversations at AOL.com. And we're Wildcat Dojo Conversations on Instagram. Perfect. I wonder if Cynthia at Honor Athletics has any spy gear. How cool would that be? <laughs> you know what? We should take a field trip to a spy store. Mm. Ooh, that would be fun. Not, nothing against you, Cynthia. If you have any spy stuff, please let me know. Where can they reach Cynthia? I believe that they can scroll down in the show notes Thank you. and click the link. What do you think? Yep. Or dial her at 770-945-5150.
And don't forget to use your spy techniques and get your 10% <laughs> discount by using code WILDCATDOJO. It is a code, though. It's, it's our code. Insider information. <laughs> but a bump. <laughs> okay, on that joking note, let's call it. Landon, you start me out. I'm glad that I was able to be on this show and looking forward to next week. Yes, we missed you being here in the room, though. Nice. Thank Thanks, Cincy Derek, for being here. Uh, so I'm glad I had the time to show up. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. We will see you next week. On that note, I'm going to sign us out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations. <laughs>